1: all you car junkies, auto shop class. Oh, and just a special shout out to anyone out there following their dream. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast for me and some friends that back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the pool party's at my place this evening. But first, let's chat about what you've been up to. Just want to first congratulate all the healthcare heroes out there for the great work that they have been doing during this pandemic. And you guys are owed a congratulations. Not an equal one, honestly, but you guys are owed a congratulations as well. You passed Babysitting Summer. Last Monday was our last babysitting episode of the summer, appropriately called The Babysitter. Our guest was Joey Lewandowski. Check that out wherever you're listening to us now, whether it be Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. Spotify. And while you're there, hit that subscribe button. And if you can, give us that five-star rating. Write us a positive review. All that helps us spread the love and joy of High School Slumber Party. And we have some more news on The Babysitter. A little bit later, I'll tell you that much. (laughs) But check that episode out. It was a blast. Today's episode is also going to be super fun. It's Corvette Summer. That's the name of the film. My guest is Christian Larson but we can't jump the gun, right? Like I said, I got important things I got to tell you. It's Friday. Fridays are for fun, but they're also for learning. Here's High School Movie News. So let's pay off what I just was kind of teasing. Ironically, after covering The Babysitter last week with Joey Lewandowski, boom, The Babysitter 2 got a release date, and it's close. It's September 10th, less than a month away. I can't believe it. I think it's a high school film. I'm going to watch the trailer right now. But if it is, Joey and I will be covering it here on High School Slumber Party. By the way, this is Brian Rodriguez, and this is High School movie news. Boom. A lot of news today, some fun news, some interesting news, that's for sure. One of the things that I found interesting was Seth Rogen. We talked about him last week that he wants to do, or he's going to do apparently, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that focuses on being a, you know, coming of age tale, being a true teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Well, He said something interesting this week. He said that Superbad, of course, the movie him and Evan Goldberg created that is one of the more iconic teen films. We covered it on this podcast. You can check that out in the archives. Well, he said Superbad will never receive a sequel. He considers Superbad to still hold up today, and he feels like it's 100% perfect. I believe what he said is 100% he'll never touch it exactly because it is what it is, and that's fine. What are they going to do? They're old now. What, are they going to have kids? Maybe they could do it like... uh, the new Bill and Ted. I don't know, but that's fine. I'm totally down with there being only one super bad. So, whew, two sequel talks in a row. How about a third film? How about a third film? So we covered the original two Tom Holland Spider-Man films, right? The third one is kicking and Screamin'. Apparently, they're getting ready to release some information on it, and there's a rumor about the title. You ready for it? Spider-Man Homesick? I guess it makes sense. All the titles have home, right? So the first one is Spider-Man Homecoming. The second one is Far From Home. And the third one is Spider-Man Homesick. Well, either way, I can't wait. Excited to see Peter Parker again. Hope he's still in high school. I think so. But we shall see. (laughs) Some other weird news. This, by the way, is very topical because we have the Long Duck Dong Award every year. Of course, Long Duck Dong is the incredibly racist character from Sixteen Candles. And there's something out there, a story I read from this place called Showbiz Cheat Sheet. I don't know how true it is, but apparently Long Duck Dong originally had a love scene in the film. It wasn't just, you know, him flirting with that really tall student. Like, there was actually a sex scene, I'm not sure. I'm very interested if this is real. I'll investigate. But yeah, (laughs) I'm not sure how I feel about that. Let's see what else is on the news docket. Oh, Zac Efron is returning to Disney. Of course, Zac Efron, the star of the High School Musical series. Of course, he's gone on to have a great career in other things. He has that Netflix show where he travels and stuff, whatever. But he's avoided doing movies with Disney since High School Musical. But guess what? He's back. Not a High School movie, but I figured I'd announce it. He's going to be in the reboot of Three Men and a Baby? Wonder who he's going to be? You guys tell me, what do you think? you think he's going to be dancing Gutenberg, or Selleck? I'm very curious. (laughs) One more news story I think I posted in our social media. But did you see that The Last Blockbuster Ever is offering Airbnb? Like, you could stay there on vacation. All I want to know is who's coming with me. That is so perfect for the show. Who wants to have this slumber party at The Last Blockbuster Ever? Email me at highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com. Or just hit me up on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I want to know who's coming with me to the Airbnb at the last Blockbuster ever. Well, that's all the news I have for you this week. Once again, I'm Brian Rodriguez, and this was High School Movie News. Once again, thank you, Brian Rodriguez, for that informative, formative news break. You're welcome, Brian. Anyway, (laughs) just want to apologize for the echo in this room. I'm going to try to find another place to record, but currently hiding out in my cabana house. Yeah, long story short, my bartender's a little upset with his pay recently. Listen, we all got to cut back a little. These are pandemic times. I promised him the world, and, well, (sighs) I've just been making him work a lot, okay? I've been having a lot of these pool parties. It's a long story. Anyway, let me see. What do I have for you? I guess that's it. I guess let's move to Corvette summer, right? And remember, it's Friday. You're staying here, and guess what? You're going to be pool partying with me the entire summer. What did my bartender prepare me? Hopefully it's not poisoned. Let me see... Oh, a beachcomber. Awesome. I don't know what it is, but it sure tastes good. Yum, yum, yum. (laughs) So put on your swimsuit. Tell your mother you're going to Brian's pool party because we're about to get our pool party on. God, I got to write down the right version of that. (laughs) Let's take it away with Give Me the Night from Dusty Springfield. See you on the other side. Mr. Larson, first time I had you on, we talked One Crazy Summer, and I think you recommended this film on that episode.
0: I didn't so much recommend it as I got it confused with One Crazy Summer as a kid. Ah. I'm pretty sure both of these movies were playing on HBO at the same time, and the image of a Corvette driving a boat That's stuck right, in my yes. head, so I always assumed it was called Corvette Summer, especially because <laughs> One Crazy Summer really kind of focuses on the summer part. This movie focuses more on
1: the Corvette part, but yeah, it all yes. it all
0: started with One Crazy Summer.
1: <laughs> and it's funny because when you mentioned the movie to me, I'm like, oh, well, I already have this summer booked, but let me just like put this in my calendar for next summer just so I remember it. And it it was a weird kind of thing because I was just like going through my Google calendar. I'm like, oh, yeah, Corvette Summer. I forgot about that movie. And the Blu-ray just got like released. And I'm like, you know what? Let me let me be a patron of the creators of this film and buy the Blu-ray. I don't really buy too many DVDs or Blu-rays anymore. But I said, why not? Everything's coming together. So excited to have you back because I definitely want to talk about this film. I didn't think I was going to be disappointed or anything, but it was a pleasant surprise, a lot of the happenings here. But before any of that, please introduce yourself in the classic high school slumber party way.
0: (laughs) Of course. Uh, My name is Christian Larson, Ramsey High School, class of 1997.
1: Go Rams. Go Rams. (laughs) Uh, And before we get into the nitty-gritty of Corvette summer, just want to mention on air what you've been up to lately because you've been messaging me about very related to the last time you were on for Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You've been watching this Ferris Bueller TV show that we kind of briefly spoke about in the Ferris Bueller episode?
0: Yeah, I mean, I didn't know that we'd be getting into that here. But but yeah, as a kid, I loved Parker Lewis Can't Lose, which was uh, a very similar show and which kind of overshadowed the Ferris Bueller show. And the Ferris Bueller show was always kind of maligned and sort of made fun of but i've been watching it and it's actually quite good it's very clever and it takes place in an alternate universe where matthew broderick sort of made this ferris bueller movie but this kid who's playing ferris bueller is sort of like that's not really how my life is (laughs) this is what it's really like there are two th- reasons why I think they kind of try to separate it from the movie universe. And one is that they had to film in Southern California. So the whole thing takes place in Southern California, which...
1: Yeah, and we, we, we spoke so much about how Chicago was such a big... Oh, yeah. ...Paris Bueller's Day off, so that makes yeah, sense. Yeah,
0: for sure. And adding a beach location kind of makes it more sitcom also, he's still trying to win over Sloan. It kind of sets back the timeline a bit so that Sloan is sort of, you know, the Pam to his gym, so to speak. And uh, that kind of adds a little something to the storylines of it. Otherwise, it's the guy who plays Ferris Bueller gets it like, spot on. Wow, I'm surprised. His sides to the camera are hilarious. Like, he gets the cadence of Ferris Bueller down perfectly. You know, it it, it really is a a proper tribute to the film. I've been enjoying the hell out of it.
1: Yeah, I mean maybe I'm trying to think of a way we can shoehorn some more Ferris Bueller talk into this <laughs> podcast. I don't want to leave Ferris Bueller behind. But that's great to hear. It's so interesting and Jennifer Aniston's in the show, right? Yeah. How is she? And
0: she is perfect as the sort of frazzled sister, uh, you know, I said in in the original podcast that I wish we had seen more of her character's background, and you do get to see that, of course, in the in the sitcom. And Jennifer Aniston is a perfect stand-in for Jeannie early in
1: her career, early in her TV career. Yeah, I mean that's great. I definitely want to check it out. And I know you've always been a big fan of Parker Lewis. You've you spoke about it a lot on this show as well. And I want to check both of these shows out. Um, we actually brought up Parker Lewis recently. On our Adventures and Babysitting episode, because apparently the little girl in that is also like the little girl in that oh, show. Yeah. So yeah, so it was like wow, this you know, everything everything's coming up. <laughs> you know, I love when, you know, the connected universe of high school slumber party. So I don't know. We'll find we'll find a way somehow to talk more about this stuff. Sure. But as I told you off air, I'm so afraid to start TV because once you start TV, it's hard to stop. I'll be doing this show forever and I don't know. That That's daunting. Yeah, well, I mean,
0: <laughs> there is a finite number of high school-related movies in the universe, so eventually you might need to start mixing it up, and when you do, I've got tons of TV shows I'd
1: love to talk to you <laughs> Yeah, I'll come up with something, trust me, because there's something here that needs to be explored at least. Because, again, for all the high school movies, high school TV shows... Occupy probably an even bigger space in Americana than even high school movies. That's a good point, yeah. Okay, but you know, today we're here for Corvette Summer, an interesting film, a film honestly I had not even heard of. And you know, from asking around, talking to people, this is not a very known film of today's generation. I think when people think of Mark Hamill, they obviously think of Star Wars. But this is right after. A New Hope, and it's, it's well, it wasn't called New Hope at the time, to be clear, just that it was for the youth, but <laughs> I don't know. This is such a cool little movie, a cool little uh, moment in time. I think it's a little bit underrated, and, uh, according to critical analysis, but we'll get into that for sure. Uh, what's your history with the film, besides for what you said? You mentioned you maybe caught it on HBO at the same time as One Crazy Summer. Had you seen it since then? Uh, are you very familiar with this film?
0: I didn't even see it then. <laughs> like I said, wow. I thought it was one <laughs> crazy summer. I, oh,
1: so you didn't even like catch both and no. combine them? It's just that you had never even seen this film. Wow, that's great.
0: They may have played a clip during a, a promo on HBO, uh, like right before or after the promo for One Crazy Summer, which made it blend in my in my brain, but. Nothing about this movie was anything that I remembered. I'd never seen it. All I knew was that I thought it was One Crazy Summer or vice versa. (laughs) And I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, it's from a different era. For sure. It's very much a product of its time, the late 70s, whereas One Crazy Summer is very much a product of its time, the mid 80s. So they were very different films
1: absolutely absolutely i think i enjoyed watching this film so much because it was so much a product of its time and we'll get into all the ways i can think of uh so many ways i even like you know last minute was thinking of bringing on our good friend the foodie films man kyle reinfried on this podcast today because i feel like he would really enjoy this film for a lot of reasons one big star wars guy too believe it or not Kyle's a big van guy. Up until like a year ago, he had like a van for like 10 years. Oh, wow. (laughs) I mean, that shouldn't surprise you, everything you know about Kyle, that he drove a van. You
0: know what? It really doesn't now that I think about it. But (laughs) but yeah, I mean, van culture was a huge thing. Yeah, exactly. In the the late 70s, I was uh, talking to Joey and Joe of the Too Fast Too Forever podcast recently, which... This movie seems like it would be a perfect fit for that podcast.
1: but Oh, yeah. Actually, like two or three weeks ago, Joey messaged me and he said, hey, I don't know if you, this film is on your radar yet, but I just saw it. I think we're going to cover it in like a year or two. I'm like, no, nope, yeah. doing it this summer, Sorry. <laughs> but,
0: but I was talking about, because they uh, recently did an episode on Smokey and the Bandit and Mm -hmm. that movie is very much about car culture and very much about CB culture and very much about trucking culture. Yes, yes. All big things from the mid to late 70s, and wrapped up in there is custom van culture, which was huge. All of those things play a big part in this movie.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. It's such a time capsule. I just imagine being like, a young person, maybe or, like, a teenager, right? I saw Star Wars, you know, the summer before this, and I'm like, oh, Mark Hamill's going to be in another film, and, like, cars, and a pretty girl, and a van. Like, you know, this is 1979. I, I didn't live through 1979, but it feels like 1979 is oozing out of this, Oh whether yeah. it's a... Blu-ray, DVD, VHS, and I don't know, you mentioned that you were streaming this. I think this is one you might need to add to your VHS collection. I just purchased
0: a copy. Like, five seconds after the movie was over, I went to eBay and I purchased a VHS copy, because that was like, (laughs) nothing belongs in my collection more than this movie so
1: <laughs> i know you've since moved to Peekskill. we've discussed it but or the hudson valley if you don't want people to suck you sorry <laughs> it's <all but>. right.
0: <laughs> no one's coming anywhere near my apartment anytime soon so
1: <laughs> but i just remember you know your brooklyn vhs nights and just you reading like the three or four choices and this one reads like a choice you would read at one of your nights so oh I, I was yes please do <laughs> So happy. So I'm going to read the back of the uh, Blu-ray. And this isn't like a special Blu-ray. It says like archive collection on top. But it's not like something where they have commentary or anything or even any options. It's just literally a version of the film that you can watch. But here goes. (laughs) A cherry Corvette Stingray. A gorgeous girl. A summer in glittery Las Vegas. What more does a guy need for the wildest, weirdest, funnest, freakiest time of his life? Mark Hamill, Star Wars, and Annie Potts, Designing Women, ooh, <laughs> I'm glad that was the reference, <laughs> make comedic and romantic sparks fly in a revved-up tale of a car-brained Kenny who trails a Corvette that's mysteriously boosted after its high school shop class restores it to perfection. The trail leads to fun capital, USA, and, <laughs> and the ditzy diversion who dreams of becoming... dot, dot, dot a hooker? Question mark. <laughs> this damsel in distress... <laughs> Sorry. This damsel in distress needs a white knight on a candy apple, metal flaked, superior mags, mercury tube steed. Right? Kenny? Question mark. Both are in for a summer they'll never forget. And that feels like I know this is the Blu ray, but that feels like something that's probably on the VHS as well. It doesn't say like, oh, the restored copy by MGM or one or something like yeah. that. Yeah. I love it. That's a that's a cool one. There are
0: two issues that I take with that synopsis. One, this is not a fun summer for Mark Hamilton. Oh character. yeah, for sure. For it's sure. It's a stressful, <laughs> horrible summer. Uh, that he spends tracking down his car and working a lot of shitty jobs. And also, Annie Potts's character is... Calling her a damsel in distress is really kind of simplifying her situation. And I'm sure we'll get into this. But she is very smart and very independent. And her relationship with Mark Hamill is one of the greatest parts of this movie. It's sweet it's just wonderful and we'll get into it but she is far from a damsel in distress
1: absolutely mark hamill famously i read a lot of like interviews at the time and he's like when i signed on i thought this was a car movie and it is but this is just as much a love story a weird love story and we'll talk about it but corvette summer was not the original title um there was a bunch of working titles some of them not very great one of them was Dantley and Vanessa, A Fiberglass Romance. <laughs> so that goes to what you're saying. But then they went with, first it was The Hot One, which is kind of generic. Then Stingray, which is the type of Corvette he has. Yeah. And then eventually Corvette Summer. For me, it's a little bit of a misleading title. Like, yes, it takes place in the summer. Yes, he has a Corvette. And that's a big deal in the film. I'm not saying it's not. But it's definitely not like One Crazy Summer in terms of like and Sue you're right this is a tough summer for him yeah and the whole
0: summer thing it takes place in la and las vegas where it's always summer so
1: like yeah it might as well you can't really tell
0: what time of year it is the only thing that signifies the fact that it's summer is that the at the beginning of the movie he's graduating college uh graduating high school and i suppose that's where we start
1: (laughs) yes 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 but I know you always like to jump the gun on these things, Oh gosh. I I'm promise sorry. you, I <laughs> yes. promise you that there are some things in, in the uh, research I've done in this film that you're going to be like, oh my God,
0: awesome. I can't wait. I can't wait.
1: There's one here that segues so much to you that I'm so excited to tell <laughs> you about it. But before any of that, something very ironic with this film was that both Mark Hamill and Annie Potts a couple months before the production, separately got into very bad car accidents. Oh, my. Annie Potts ended up having a screw put in her hip right before this, so she was kind of pretty injured still filming this, this movie. But Mark Hamill, obviously because of Star Wars, his car accident is much more famous because you don't really see it. You, you kind of see it on the close-ups in this film. But in Star Wars, again... Much more famous film, obviously. Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Famously, his face is very scarred up. And that's credited to the Wampa attack in uh, Empire Strikes Back. For you Star Wars fans out there. But they wrote that in because of Mark Hamill's car accident. So, I mean, it's just funny that both of them would get into severe car accidents before shooting a movie. Essentially about cars and stuff with car chases in it.
0: Yeah, well, infamously, the Star Wars Holiday Special, which I don't know if you've ever seen, but uh, it's awful. And from time (laughs) to time, they have a cameo from an original cast member. And Mark Hamill is famously had just gone through the plastic surgery from his car
1: accident.
0: Uh. uh, And he was supposedly very doped up from the operation. (laughs) So his clip, his face, he's like covered in makeup and he looks very strange just adds to the overall bizarreness of the Star Wars Holiday Special. So, uh, yeah, I'm familiar with the
1: time period. <laughs> the most I've seen of that is from your good old friends at Alamo Drafthouse before every Star Wars film they show there. They just cut clips of that. I've never seen the Mark Hamill part, though. I need to check that out. Just for your car guys out there, um, this is a 1973 Chevrolet Corvette Stingray I'm not a big car guy but maybe those of you out there are curious what the exact Corvette was that's what it is but this is the part I really wanted to talk to you about so this is a directing writing producing team of Matthew Robbins who's the director credited director and Hal Barwood they've done a ton of things probably stuff we're not too familiar with today most famously I'd say if you're a Spielberg fan They were the people behind the Sugarland Express, which was like Spielberg's big Hollywood break. But even like Hal Barwood, or it might have been Matthew Robbins, one of the two Spielberg gave the script to Jaws to and be like, punch it up, please. But this was uh, Matthew Robbins. They decided that he would direct, Hal Barwood would produce. And I know you guys have no idea who these people are, but I bring it up to you, Larson, because they would do a movie later called Dragon Slayer. I don't know if you've heard of this film. (laughs) It's very absurd. Sounds like I should. (laughs) I think so. I think so. Because Hal Barwood would be so kind of inspired. This is from what I read. I'm inferring. Hal Barwood or his descendants, please come on the show and correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) But he'd be so inspired by his process here and the writing process and this new medium really taking hold in the late 70s and especially the 80s called video games. So... Hal Barward decided at one point he wanted to just break into the video game world, and he wanted to write for video games instead of movies. So he got a job at LucasArts, like helming things, and he is actually the architect of a lot of adventure games. Including a and correct me if I'm wrong, a Hall of Fame nineteen ninety two adventure game, Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis is like his baby. Wow, that's right. Lucas Arts brought him on to do an Indiana Jones game, and they originally, like, he's like, no, I want to start from scratch. And so he is the architect of Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis.
0: Wow. That is, wow, that is fantastic. I knew I'd heard that
1: name before, and it makes (laughs) a lot of sense now. And, you know, those of you into adventure gaming, and, of course, you are because you have an upcoming podcast based on the entire, you know, adventure gaming community, especially in that era, will obviously know that game. Even I knew that game, Yeah, you know. Wow. And and it's funny because this movie, I'm not saying it's an adventure game, but it certainly has an adventure-like quality. You could think about it in like, you know, little vignettes and levels and different things are happening at different times that he has to get past and he's get through the Mark Hamill character, I'm saying. Um so, it sure. is very interesting.
0: Oh my god, I would so totally play a Corvette Summer video game. That like. would be amazing.
1: <laughs> There's still time. There's still time. Like <laughs> I mean, independent gaming is huge now. Someone needs to just, like, buy this property and make a make a cool adventure game of this. That'd be awesome. I will absolutely contribute to that Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the cast before we do our deep dive, because, again, there's a lot of cool stuff we want, I want sure, to talk about. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. We mentioned Mark Hamill a million times. So he plays Kenny. Um, and, of course, this is, this is the Mark Hamill and Annie Potts show, for sure. Annie Potts plays Vanessa... Is Designing Women the place you know Annie Potts most from?
0: I mean, I would say I know her most from Janine from Ghostbusters.
1: That's what I was going to say, yeah.
0: Also, as the record store manager from Pretty in Pink.
1: Oh, yeah. You know,
0: she was the coolest girl in town. You know, and and I did grow up watching her on Designing Women. But if thinking of her as a kid in Designing Women and Ghostbusters, you think of her as being pretty uncool (laughs) and when you see her in pretty in pink and especially in this she is the coolest girl in the world absolutely she's just awesome
1: and either way like cool or uncool she has such a great unique voice maybe some of our younger fans will know her as the voice of Bo Peep in the Toy Story franchise I love her and seeing her so young and in this character it was awesome you know this is largely a cast of uh, a lot of There's no other way to say it. I think, like, 70s people. There were a couple other people I recognized. Was there anyone else you really recognized?
0: Uh, Yeah, actually. Well, there is a cameo from a guy named Dick Miller. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He has popped up in so many movies, most notably Gremlins. He's the, the neighbor in Gremlins who gets run over by the tractor and then reappears in Gremlins too. But he has... Popped up in so many movies, so many exploitation movies, that horror movies, guy. action movies, yeah. They even made a documentary about him called That Guy, or something to that effect. <laughs> That's awesome. He he plays a gambler who gives uh, Mark Hamill $2 bill, which is the only cash yes. he has. Which ends up having a very big part in the story. And later on, there's a, a thug that works for the, the car thievery ring. And the actor who plays him is uh Brian James or Brian James.
1: I guess that's a way to spell Brian. I don't know.
0: You recognize him when you see him because... absolutely, He's got a very recognizable face. He was a henchman in Tango and Cash. He was the general in The Fifth Element, the guy who takes Bruce Willis out of retirement. But, you know, again, just like Dick Miller, he's appeared in so many things over the years. And and the guy who plays the shop teacher, I've seen in tons of things, but I couldn't name one off the top of my head.
1: Yeah, no, he uh, he seemed uh, pretty noticeable too. Just wanted to mention that we've briefly talked about dick miller on this podcast as well for a film you know and enjoy summer school teachers was another like corman uh produced film yes. that he makes an appearance in two other people though i wanted to mention <laughs> danny Bonaducci plays <laughs> one of the, uh, <laughs> the students
0: oh my god that was him coots. i was
1: yeah that was coots <laughs> oh i
0: was wondering a Redheaded one who very like familiar the car,
1: yeah and then another student in the the shop class is a. Uh, Wendy Jo Sperber. Oh my
0: god. <laughs>
1: She's like the one girl in the class, but I, I love I was she like,
0: is. you know, I I don't want to be stereotypical and think <laughs> that the the chubby girl in the class is Wendy Jo Sperber because I don't want to automatically <laughs> think every uh, you know girl who isn't, you know, stereotypically beautiful <laughs> in every 80s movie is Wendy Jo Sperber, but it was.
1: It was. It was 100% her. I've talked about her on Hanks for the Memories because she was a cast member of Bosom Buddies, yeah. But also, again, she's in Back to the Future. Great career. We lost her way too soon. Oh, she's great. She's great. Yeah. She passed away in 2005 at 47. Yeah. I think she's probably one of the more underappreciated character actors of her time. And yeah, it makes a little appearance here. Other than that, not too many other people... I recognize, and that's totally fine. Like I said, this is the Mark Hamill, Annie Potts show. Yes. Simple as that. (laughs) All right, so uh, let's talk about it. And the first thing I want to talk about is this opening at the scrapyard. Where we're just seeing these cars being crushed. And it's not like a dark image because it's it's very bright. But it's a shop class, a high school shop class, and they're looking essentially for their next project. And uh, Kenny, Mark Hamill... Sees the Corvette Stingray and he goes so out of his way in almost a religious moment to like an old fashioned movie of a guy chasing a girl. It's him chasing this car essentially so it doesn't get like uh, demolished or whatever. What do you think of this whole opening and then how it leads to these, uh, you know, almost the mythical nature of the car and basically him repairing it in shop class and, and the way we learn that he's not a great student, but he pretty much has one love, like cars and repairing cars.
0: Yeah, well, the opening sequence, I didn't know if it was purposeful or not, but the, the glittering font of the opening yes. credits against the backdrop of this junkyard. I thought was pretty striking. Again, I don't know if they meant it that way or not. But, um, you know, the him chasing after the car is something we would see, we're going to see throughout the movie. I had no idea what this movie was about at first. I just saw Mark Hamill chasing a car through a junkyard. And we find out that he is part of this auto shop class, this kind of ragtag group of kids, which... I thought the movie was going to center around this ragtag group of kids, which all of my favorite 80s movies tend to do you've got danny Bonaducci and wendy joe Sperber and you know there's like the random guy with the afro and yeah they're clearly a very close-knit group with a with a mentor and yeah we find out quickly that they are a uh, a shop class uh in this high school and um mark hamill it takes you a while to find out what mark hamill is all about because at first You just think of him as this guy who's obsessed with cars. Mm -hmm. As the movie goes on, you learn more and more about his personality. You know, he really is kind of a naive kid from the sticks. Kind of like Luke Skywalker, you might say. Yeah, (laughs) But he always does the right thing. He's a good guy. He's a stand-up kid. There's so much more to this movie. It's so much deeper as far as the characters' relationships because right off the bat, you see his relationship with the shop teacher and his relationship with his
1: mother. And that really sets a lot of things up. It's a single mom, you know, trailer park. Not just like a stereotype because... I think he locks himself out one night and his mom comes home and she's gone on a date with someone, you know. It's it's an interesting relationship because it doesn't feel very motherly, but she doesn't seem evil or anything like that either. It's almost like a big sister relationship, it seems like, more. Like, they're kind of on a similar level. That's something, like, really interesting we see early on. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's a lot
0: of why he and Annie Potts get along so well later on is because it's very clear that neither of them had a very strong parental uh, relationship. You know, his mom, Mark Hamill's character, what, what's his name in the film? I, I kept calling him Mark. Kenny. Kenny. Kenny's relationship with his mom, it, it made me think of Beavis and Butthead. When I was a kid, I would always think, uh, you know, where <laughs> where where are their parents? Yeah, exactly. And Butthead would always make references to Beavis' mom and describe her as sort of, what Kenny's mom is like in this movie you know he he has no support you know his mom even moves away while he's out yeah. of town and she <laughs> doesn't even know he's out of town so his father figure of sorts is this shop teacher prom happens and all Kenny wants to do is work on his car and the shop teachers there and he gives him a you know, a belt of scotch. And he's like, ah, oh, you're going to be, you're going to be all right.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a great image and it's a great like fatherly moment. Even though we see Kenny, he's so naive, but we get his feeling of betrayal when he sees, you know, what his, the shop teacher is up to and stuff. Um, because like he legitimately a hundred percent trusts, believes and almost loves this teacher blindly blindly it's kind of a trope that
0: happens in a lot of movies i mean there are some tropes some well-worn tropes in this movie um for sure but you know he's a guy who i'm assuming his father left when he was young his mother's never around and this guy actually cares about him that's what makes the eventual betrayal, spoiler alert, all the more painful for
1: him. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, quick aside, I wanted to ask, did your high school have shop class? We did. We oh, had
0: wow. a. We had an auto... Well, I mean, I was in wood shop. I made a...
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I made I mean,
0: a disc, uh, a computer disc holder.
1: <laughs> what a side of the time. Yeah,
0: but uh, there was an auto shop class, but the auto shop class was the most badass kids, the, the kids nice. who would smoke cigarettes under the bleachers. Like, I I never even wanted to go near the auto shop garage because <laughs> the kids around there were scary. Um, Not, you know, not in a bad way, but they were just
1: a lot more badass than I would ever be. Because auto shop is like a kind of, it is, I think, still, like a dying class. I know a lot of high schools remove their auto shop uh, departments and it's kind of sad because like that's a really tangible skill to have but you know you and I grew up in Bergen County and when we were growing up I think especially me There's almost a taboo about being a mechanic, which is so ridiculous, because mechanics make good money. (laughs) You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I mean, not only do they make good money, but, like, you know, the knowledge that's required. Yeah, you have to be really smart. it's, It's incredible. Like, all the stuff you have to know, you know, you can't look down on a mechanic, because they know more about
1: math and engineering than most people will ever know in their lives. One of my good friends is a neurologist. So, like, the dude obviously knows the brain. And he's probably the smartest person I know when it comes to car engines as well. And that makes so much sense. Yeah, so it does. Like, I always like, like to point that out on this show. Because, like, it's such a, it's such a dumb stigma that existed for a number of years, i you know I'm hearing more and more now that that's like kind of going away because I think they sent so many kids to school to become you know take your uh you know liberal arts major or whatever, including you know a lot of people I know, and even i'm not using my college major, and it's like, hey, that wasn't really tangible for the real world yeah, that's a super smart skill, so I bring it up too because he's getting kind of like bad grades in other classes, but that doesn't mean he's like. Dumb or anything like that. His one true passion is this car. And again, the whole class builds the car, and that's a big deal, not just him. But he's clearly like, if there's like a team captain of the auto shop class, it's definitely him. Like this car, oh, yeah. he feels a personal connection to this car and he has intelligence and savvy. And you're right, like you need the mathematics skill to be able to build a machine like this.
0: Yeah, like he is a smart guy. And you find out later that he's a very empathetic guy. You know, he's the kind of protagonist that you really, really want to root for.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Again, it's also, like, it's Mark Hamill. (laughs) That, too. That, too. If he could do anything, it's that. That, too. (laughs) So, I guess, you know, the film really takes off when they finish this car. Kind of, I don't know if it's a field trip, but everyone gets to test drive the car down, like, the main American Graffiti-style strip
2: Hold it up,
3: come on, are we gonna let this little creep wreck it? Yeah, why should you drive a jerk, you never worked on it Hey, I helped, I got a right Come on, let him drive it Get the floors clean. All right. Don't wait up for me, guys. Oh, no, you Hey, congratulations, Kenny. You know that's the greatest car I ever saw? Thanks. Did you ever think about going pro? Yeah, get some Polaroids and go to Detroit. Huh? I've been
1: thinking about it.
3: Yeah? Polaroids? I don't want to drive that thing.
1: Right up to General Motors' front door. <laughs>
2: that's your life, man. <laughs> that's your life.
1: Um, And and everyone gets a joyride. And when Danny Bonaduce's character gets the joyride, he's supposed to pick up sodas for everyone. And once he does, the car is stolen from wherever that was. And the heartbreak in in Kenny when that happens. it's, It's awful.
0: I have to say this brought up something about cruising. Like you see it a lot in 70s and 80s movies. Like this idea of driving your car, Real slow down the main drag of your hometown. Oh, yeah. Going to a parking lot and just hanging out and everyone kind of checking out your car. Like, I feel like that was a lost art by the time the 90s rolled around.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure.
0: And you see it, most notably, you see it in the beginning of Dazing a Fuse.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I always, for me, being, I know you are as well, but like just be, being here on the East Coast, I always identified with California most. You know, yeah. it just felt like a yeah. very. California thing to do, sure. But again, that moment when he knows the car is gone, like his emotion there, like (laughs) yeah, he takes it very seriously.
0: I mean, I have to say, I think it's kind of an ugly car. (laughs) You know, (laughs) the hood and the it's very jagged. It seems kind of ostentatious, and and it seems kind of out of place for who he is. I would feel like someone like Kenny would want something that was, you know, more practical than showy, And that car looks like it was something out of Death Race 2000, which I don't know (laughs) if you've ever seen, but...
1: Yes, yes.
0: (laughs) It's just ridiculous looking, and it just doesn't seem like him. But I guess making it so noticeable, so obvious, is kind of what... Helps him to track it down once once he finds it in Las Vegas.
1: Yeah, I just see it as like maybe the just the only one indulgence he allows himself in his life. Yeah, he kind of put all his like emotion in one like basket, and when that goes away, it's just like shit. But he works at a gas station, right? And that's where he finds out that well, there's a rumor at least that the car is in Las Vegas.
0: Yeah, he finds it out from a guy who's restocking the condom machine in the bathroom. Yes, yes. <laughs> and he opens up his trunk, and it's full of booze and condoms.
1: <laughs> what a job. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Yeah. Great little image there. And he has to hitchhike. to. Well, he doesn't have to, but he wants to hitchhike to Vegas to track down this car. Yeah. And we see, I mean, the hitchhiking stuff is great maybe a little again of the times i think the first people who pick them up are you know like low rider culture
0: yeah
2: people. yeah hey man where are you going las vegas
0: yeah
2: far out dude we take you the whole way jump in Anyway, uh, What's the matter, you don't like cars?
3: Sure I don't like cars. I
2: love
3: Yeah, you like cars. What kind of ride you like? Charger? Camaro? Yeah. Corvette, huh? Yeah, oh, you got it. Sure I got it. Corvette, Anglo? Anglo, Corvette? What's wrong with a Corvette? Oh, GM. Man, what does GM have to do? Excuse me, uh, 17 miles an hour? Fifteen. On the interstate? What are you doing? Looking for a contact lens? <laughs> you patties cracked me up. You're
2: still doing your speed number,
3: huh? Yeah, well, what are you into? Miles per gallon? Class. We're into class. Okay, I gotta get out now. Oh, we're gonna go to Los Huevos, remember?
1: Oh, listen, friend, just let me out, okay? Tell you what, you don't even have to stop.
0: Hasta la vista. I have a note about that because you know it's kind of shedding light on this automotive culture that a lot of people probably didn't know about. And you know, you would think that the guy who picks him up is going to be this roaring stereotype. He's going to be like, "Hey, SA!" Hey. <laughs> you know, but and he wasn't. Yeah, you know. Instead, he's actually treated like a, a normal person who kind of has a conversation about him. I'm sorry, a conversation with Kenny about where lowrider culture comes from. It's actually quite refreshing because I expected it to be sort of like a Cheech and Chong kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> when, when in reality it was pretty respectful, but Kenny has to decline because they, They only drive 15 miles
1: an hour. Yeah. (laughs) Which, again, is funny. And at least Kenny's not really saying racial slurs. The only one really saying racial slurs is the driver when he calls him First he calls him an Anglo, then he calls him a Patty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's more there's more white person <laughs> slurs than,
0: you know. I mean, Kenny says hasta luego or something. but uh, Yeah, I guess yeah. that's like the
1: closest yeah. thing that can be determined that way. But it's really not that bad considering it's 1979. Yeah, very right. Very refreshing. <laughs> and the next person, I mean, it takes a while, but the next person to really pick him up, it, we get introduced to our uh, character, Annie Potts. What's, let me uh, see. I forgot her name. I mean, she has a couple names in the film. But Vanessa. Of course. How could I forget a name? It's on the side of her van.
0: Yes. And it's got the word <laughs> van in it.
1: Yeah, that's why I don't even know if that's her real well, name.
0: Well, it's not. Concerned. Her real name is Eleanor. Eleanor, you're yes. right. Yes,
1: Eleanor. <laughs>
0: Listen, I paid very close attention to Annie Potts in this movie. So.
1: <laughs> her real name's Eleanor. She goes by Vanessa... And then eventually she changes her name to something. It'll be in my notes somewhere. Yeah. Like I think it's uh, like Bernadette
0: her... or something. Something like something that. Something very yeah.
1: late 70s. Yes. Late 70s and fancy.
3: <laughs> Thanks for stopping. What? Oh, wait a minute. Huh? Thanks for picking me up. Oh, yeah. I thought you were hitchhiking, only you didn't have your thumb out. You want to hitchhike, you got to stick something out. Where are you from?
2: New Orleans.
3: You go to MacArthur High?
2: No, I just graduated.
3: No kidding. I go to San Fernando. Uh, what are you going to Vegas for? I'm looking for my car. Somebody stole my Stingray. And the word's out. It's in Vegas. You've got a Corvette. Oh sure. It's a nice van you got here. Yeah, really. But you can't tell from up front. Going back and uh, check it out.
0: Nice. Who did the work?
3: Some friends of mine. You know and. Exchange for services rendered.
0: Services? What kind of services?
3: You know what I mean. Hey, bring us up a couple of cold ones, and we'll let talk about it.
0: So, what are you going to Vegas for, a summer job? Uh Uh-uh.
3: Full time, sugar, from now on. Hey, how old are you? You know what I'm talking about. You've met girls like me. I'm a hooker for Christ's sake.
0: A what? What? You mean like a prostitute?
3: Well, you know, like a... trainee, anyway. I mean, there comes a time when every amateur goes pro. pulling
1: over and her van has you know the hookup we see a lot more of it later when we see the back but it is done up and she reveals she's a recently graduated uh, high school student as well or at least a recently attended high school student from a high school that's close to kenny's high school and she's on her way to vegas to try to earn her new living as a, a hopeful lady of the night a hopeful escort if you will i mean that that kind of put me
0: off at first because i was like she seems way too independent to have this as her goal like normally the the kind of plucky young lady going to make it big that's not their goal is to (laughs) no (laughs) to become a prostitute but as she says you got to go pro sometime but we see that her career path is much more complicated than that as is her relationship with Kenny. exactly
1: and as as interesting as it was one it did lend for some fun comedy and and two i also chalk it up to 1979 as well i'm not saying like there was no stigma against that in 1979 but the whole idea that we said before of like van culture and living on your own and doing what it takes to to get by yourself and independence. It's nice to see. As different as it is of a goal profession to have, there's some sort of independence in it, or at least her idea of it. It doesn't end up working out the way she thinks it's going to work out, and that makes sense. But also even the idea that she can take on these different identities and be someone else, you know to the point where, again, on the side of the van it says Vanessa. And it, again, I just loved this character for a lot of reasons, but the fact that she has... This van, and she's on the road, and she's trying to do something independent of herself. It's just nice to see.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, a big part of this mid to late 70s kind of car, trucker, van, biker, CB culture. It was all about freedom. Yeah, There's a lot that's been written about that, about life after the sort of Vietnam era, the malaise of America, and... You know, we're kind of going through that right now ourselves. <laughs> but that idea of personal freedom where you could just hit the road and all you need is a, is a bike or a truck or a van and a CB radio and the world was your oyster. You know, that was very mid to late 70s. And, and these two are exemplifying that to the max
1: absolutely and i really do love how her character kind of i know i know eventually she's more involved but at this point it's not like he finds her and then they're just like a couple and everything's hunky dory or or even that he's like pursuing her hard he's still focused on the car and she kind of weaves in and out of the story at this point
0: yeah their relationship is very strange at first like he finds himself on the street he's completely destitute All he has is the $2 bill in his pocket that was given to him by Dick Miller. (laughs) And she pulls up out of nowhere and offers him a night in her van. And he doesn't sleep with her. And in the morning, she kicks him out. And she says, you know, I'm not good enough for you. Gotta give me your money. I think that she's still kind of getting used to life on the road. (laughs) I think they both are. They're both in a very confused place, but at that point, you're not really rooting for them as much as you do later on.
1: Yeah. And when you say confused place, emotionally and literally, like Las Vegas is a very different Vegas than we see today, obviously. Sure. But I love seeing that, like, late 1970s Vegas. Some hotels on the strip, but it's mostly like downtown hotels. A lot of seediness. But also, it seems like there's a lot of opportunity. Yes, of course, for gambling and making your millions. But, you know, they do end up getting a lot of little jobs here and there to support that, like, economy. It it does still seem like a pretty small town that just happens to have these big casinos and stuff. I loved seeing that old seedy side of Vegas. It just was, it was a cool little
0: backdrop. Yeah, it was so cool. (laughs) You get to see the casino side of things there was a big sign for uh Frank and Dean coming yeah. to town and i i can only imagine how sad that would have been in 1979 but most of them y- you do get to see the the casinos the strip but most of the movie takes place in the Las Vegas that you don't see yes the the back streets the auto shops the gas stations the you know the the back streets uh where most of the people live, and all the shady shit goes down.
1: Yeah, and they even shoot one of the many chase scenes in the film. They even shoot in that, fa- and it's been shot many times later than that, later than this. But that like famous sign, neon sign, graveyard in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Like, dispo- this, dispose of all the old signs, and I thought it was so, it was so cool to see, especially in the backdrop of this film. It's a very uh bright film. It's a very deserty film. And I don't know. I I just love the look of everything here. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention. He gets a tip that the car is in a casino early on. So when he goes into the casino, he sees a car that's painted like his, but it's not his car. And he goes, it's a Datsun. And I love that, too, because that's a very, like, I even remember being a kid. And when people wanted to make a joke, if a car was shitty, they would either say it's a Datsun or, or a Yugo. Or a pinto. Those yes, are like the three yes, like <laughs> Yeah. Three car jokes. Oh, for sure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean in the in the late seventies, that was when, you know, the American car business was disappearing. Yeah. In fact, I, I brought up the the Star Wars holiday special before. If you get a version of it that has the commercials intact, a lot of the commercials are car commercials or union commercials saying oh wow please buy american like <laughs> please we're begging you you know cuz in the late 70s that's when sort of globalization was was starting and industry was moving overseas and this was sort of the last gasp of american automobile culture for a while and that's why Japanese cars were kind of a punchline in the late 70s. But by the time you got to the 80s, driving a Datsun or a Nissan or a Mitsubishi was not a punchline at all.
1: No, no, for sure. Especially like towards... Uh, the end of the decade, and and again, you know, like the Pinto was such a joke yes. because to people, because that was like America's attempt of making a Japanese. Yeah, film. yeah, yeah. Funny to see. I wanted to mention it because it's such a sign of the times. <laughs> I mean, what other scenes around this point in the film did you want to talk about and discuss? Because this again, this is like a movie that just keeps going to like from adventure to adventure to adventure in a sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like there's a, a beginning and an end. And the middle is just filled with wacky hijinks of him trying to find his car. But they're interspersed with these beautiful moments with Annie Potts' character. I wanted to bring up a few of them. There's one where she is alternatingly chugging vodka and
1: OJ. Oh, yeah. (laughs) She's making the (laughs) screwdriver in her mouth. In her mouth.
0: She's mixing screwdrivers in her mouth.
1: (laughs) A girl after my own heart.
0: (laughs) And she is going to have sex with him for the first time. She's tried to have sex with him before, but he's been too pure of heart. And she shows him the $2 bill that he gave her the night that she kicked him out of her van. And she has it framed on her wall. And it's just such a sweet moment. Such a, a surprisingly sweet moment. And they have sex. And of course, he, he stands up through the, the skylight of the van. And he screams, love is a many, many splendored thing. But it, it really is a great sort of kickoff to their romantic relationship. And for the rest of the movie, they're a team. They help each other. They work together. She ends up getting a job in a fast food restaurant. And she gets a lead on the car. And he's like, why are you helping me? And she's like, I work here. I, I see all the cars in town. And we're a team. It's great. Later on in the movie, he tracks his car down to a, to a garage where he gets into a chain fight with a, yes. with a, with a guy who works there. And, and that's something you don't see in movies anymore. Is a, a good old-fashioned chain fight. <laughs> <laughs> and after he's done, he's covered in, in grease. Uh, he's beaten up. He's lying on the floor. And she shows up and she hoses him off and cradles him in her arms and she says you're a big winner you lucky son of a bitch and to me that was like the sweetest moment in the movie it really kind of brought home the fact that they were both characters who were looking for they were looking for something bigger than a car or bigger than you know money they were looking for family they were looking for each other and that really drives it home, and and it was at that point where I was like, this movie is, it it's so much more than than any other automotive exploitation film from the late seventies.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Because like, if you backtrack a little, he's about to give up. He's about to go home, and he's like, he is about to hitchhike with this very beautiful girl in a car. Then when he sees the car. The car he's been looking for, he just jumps out. We don't even, like, get that story. And then it ends, like you said, it ends up becoming the story with him and Annie Potts, who just, yeah, they're having this really interesting romance. Like you said, you know, her at the burger joint. I love seeing a burger joint scene in a uh, high school film. That's always fun. love it. And like I said, she has such a unique, distinct voice that when it comes out of that uh, PA system you order from, it's so cool. I mean, we get some really, really great moments with them. All while, like, he is tracking down this car. He, see- he basically sees it like a gangster has it, like the garage people. At some point, they paint it yellow, just so, I guess, so it's not identified and such. Yeah. At one point, he gets captured. Is this before or after his teacher comes by that he gets, like, captured and thrown into the office?
0: Oh no! Well, the teacher shows up towards the end, like right before. Yeah, so this must be before his sellout moment. But yeah,
1: yeah, like because at one point I know he's captured and locked in the office. I wanted to bring this up because like his plan to get out of like the auto shop office is to hide in a vat of oil, which was funny. Trick the guy that he escaped the window and then kind of run out. I'm like, that's a lot of dedication. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So was there anything you wanted to talk about, though, before the teacher comes back or the teacher comes to Vegas? Um,
0: No, I mean, really, most of my notes are about how great the relationship is between him and Annie Potts. And Annie Potts goes through a lot of jobs, as he does in Las Vegas. Kenny is a valet. He's a car wash guy. He's a gas station attendant and Annie Potts is a prostitute. She's a beautician. She's a fast food person. You know, they both go through a lot over the course of this movie. And there's one point where Annie Potts comes back from a night on the streets, and she has, like, a bloody lip, and her her makeup is running. And, yeah. you know, that's a lot more heavy than you'd expect from something like this. And Kenny kind of sees for the first time like, you know, I need to get her out of this life because she's she's not the kind of person who needs to be wrapped up in this kind of stuff. Yeah. That scene of her in the mirror with her makeup running down and the blood on her mouth, that's very out of place for a movie like this, but
1: Yes, it's a bit intense. Yeah.
0: And you know, it it really kind of shows that that kind of life can be very dangerous, especially if, you know, you're just some kid from the the valley who came to Las Vegas. Most of my notes, like I said, are about that relationship (laughs) because it's just so sweet and so unexpected in a movie like this.
1: No, but I, I totally get it, yeah. It's even more exacerbated, I think, because his... Teacher comes to town. He's been tipped off, and this was all a ruse, the car getting stolen. Um, it, it was on purpose. He basically cut a deal with someone. He complains about teacher salaries, which is another very 70s thing, just you know the, how little government workers are being paid was, was something in the news and such. And he basically says, like, from selling this car, he makes more than he does in a year. And you could just tell the betrayal, and it almost looks like Kenny gives up his morals at this point because basically even though the teacher has lied to him and tricked him essentially one there's something really important to remember it's not kenny's car it was the school's car he didn't steal from kenny he stole from the school kenny just has this attachment to the car it feels like it's his car because he put a lot of work in two like you could tell that even though he did this he's not like haha kenny i took advantage of you he kind of feels bad, and that's why he offers him that, or he kind of hooks him up with that really high, for 1979, really high-paying job uh, working at the mechanic shop in Vegas where he's able to afford, like, fancy cars. He's able to buy Annie Potts new clothes, and he's he's wearing very 1979 clothes and sunglasses at that point. Oh, yeah. I loved this part, too, yeah. because I was like, wow, is, is he just going to, like, become, like, this guy and just... Like, has he just given up on the car? When the teacher shows up, he
0: asked to have a conversation with him in a very isolated part of town. And it was like something out of a Scorsese movie, you know, where you're thinking at any point, like, (laughs) they're going to take him out. But he makes a very compelling argument. He says, you know, I'm a teacher. I make, you know, nothing. And I need to provide for my wife and my kids. And my former student hooked me up with this business, and you could be a part of it. You could be doing what you what you want to do. Like you could be living your dream, which you know is some, it, it's something everybody would love to do in a capitalist society. Is applying their passion. <laughs> it's a win win situation that is he's, he's presenting to him, and he agrees. Also, if he didn't agree, he'd
1: probably get his legs broken. Yeah, so I guess you're right. He didn't really have much yeah, of choice. But, but it's not like a rock and a hard place choice. It's like a pretty easy choice to make. Yeah.
0: Then you see him selling out. Then you see him wearing the big rose-colored sunglasses and with the feathered <laughs> hair and the bell bottoms and the, the silk shirts unbuttoned down to the navel. Very 70s ball stuff. And and he lives like that for a while, and he he gets a penthouse for Annie Potts, and she's wearing an amazing, like, satin purple jumpsuit. I don't know if you remember that yeah, part. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah no, it,
1: it, it's great. <laughs> Again, very nineteen seventy. But she
0: looks at him, and she's like, you're not the guy that I fell in love with. And eventually, someone steals her van. And that kind of snaps him out of yes.
1: Well, is it stolen because it says for sale on the back? It does say for sale, but I wasn't sure. If, I wasn't sure about that. I thought she might have just like forget it. I'm giving up on this lifestyle because then she. That's when she becomes a high class lady of the night. That's true. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe
0: maybe she sold it, but for whatever reason, it it really triggers something in Kenny.
1: Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, that's when he, I think he realizes, or maybe he felt it all along and wasn't sure, but he basically uses his job at the garage to, one, which I which I loved, as silly as it was, one, he just, like, stays late one night. And so the boss is the one with the car he loves now, and he, like I said, he's repainted it yellow. But one night, he just says, fuck it, and repaints the car red. Which is amazing, and then yeah. wait till the morning. I don't know why you have to wait till the morning. I'm sure you could open the garage from the inside, but whatever. <laughs> For dramatic effect, he waits till the morning and kind of you know speeds out with the car, and then rescues Annie Potts, who's I don't know if she is in a mood to be rescued at this point. It looks like she's about to film porn. We'll put it that way, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a little bit. Uh, I don't know in 2020 if this scene would be as heroic, him dragging her out of there against her will. But this is 1979. We're going to you know, look at this in context. Because, again, they do end up happily ever after. But I wanted to bring this up, too, this whole thing, because we get a really, really epic car chase between the leader of the bad guys, if you will, and Kenny and Annie Potts in the Corvette. And it's funny because the Corvette has, they switch it to, like, right-hand drive. So when I was like looking at uh, pictures of the movie before I saw it, I'm like, wait a minute, Annie Potts is driving in this in this badass <laughs> scene, you know, because that's that's what it would look like on first glance. But yeah, n- no, it, it's Mark Hamill. Yeah, what'd you think of this whole scene, with, like the freeway, like finding the freeway, the freeway ending, and I don't know the chaos that ensues here.
0: It was great. It was very like it brought it back to that kind of seventies exploitation, you know. It, Summer School Teachers, which is a movie that you watched and, and you talked about with uh, Mike Manzi, I think?
1: Alexandra Schroeder. Yes.
0: Talking? Mike Manzi gave me a VHS copy of it, and I, I watched it before I listened to your episode on it. And it seems like every 70s exploitation movie <laughs> had to end with a madcap car chase. It just had to. You know, you've got... Smokey and the Bandit, you've got tons of movies from the mid to late 70s that end with a car chase. And this was definitely one of them. And it was great. And it was... It was filmed on a stretch of highway that was uh, strangely vacant.
1: Yeah. I don't know if it was like uncompleted and closed or something. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure how that worked. (laughs) Maybe it was under construction. Yeah, that's what it looked like. And that's how they were able to able to use it. But it was great. I mean, you know, it was great for what it was. It, It gave the audience what they came for. But what I was really waiting for was how are things going to end up between
1: Kenny and Eleanor? And we get, like, a nice, cool, classic ending Uh, that's very high school-oriented, which I like seeing here. He goes back to his school and, well, for one, he doesn't rat his old teacher out. He kind of just, you know, lets him off the hook, which is very Kenny. Yeah. And he, uh, he ends up returning the car to shop class because... I mean, they're the ones who built it. And I think, you know, you realize at this point, it wasn't about the physical car. I mean, it was almost about his quest. And he already has found, you know, who he believes is the one in Annie Potts rather than the car anyway. So I, I really like the ending. Oh, and, and he picks up his diploma at the end. So we get a nice tying in of all that.
2: What about the car? You gonna buy it?
3: No.
0: What? It's a terrific car. Superior bags. Tubes, Gabriel, shocks. Why don't you buy it, Coops? Hey Kenny, where
2: are you going? Hey Kenny,
3: Hey, you with the funny walk?
1: Come on, you're not all that tough. Would you give me my diploma? You think I spent five years in this dump for an empty envelope? Whoa! Uh, sure. What are you mad because I gave the car back, huh? Uh, I see what it is. Any guy who doesn't own a Corvette just doesn't get a kiss from you. Right? What do you think of the ending?
0: Yeah, I loved it. I mean, I, I love that they came back to the school and, uh, <laughs> and Annie Potts, they were like, what are you doing here? Who are you? And she's like, Yeah, I go to a school near here. Like, (laughs) fuck off. And he got his diploma, and he he gives the car to the class, uh, the people he built it with, Danny Bonaduce and Wendy Jo Sperber and all of them. And he ends up with Eleanor, with Vanessa, with, you know, whatever. And it's great. And he, you know, like you said him not turning in the teacher kind of fits with his personality, his personality of just being a good guy. He's just a good guy. Like, that's him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much, you know. (laughs) Very Luke Skywalker him, honestly.
0: Very Luke Skywalker, (laughs) yeah. And they ride off into the sunset, and it's It's great. It's the
1: best way to end a movie. Yeah, it's really cool. You don't know what you're getting with with this movie because I wasn't sure what kind of twists and turns it was going to take or, or, you know, like the summer element or the kids. So I don't want to say it's predictable in that way. But once you're in the movie, like, it doesn't disappoint. This is a no pun intended, a very fun ride and a very great time capsule into 1979. I mean, I had, yeah. I, had, I had a lot of fun watching it. Was there anything else that we might have missed that you wanted to mention in Corvette Summer?
0: I mean, not really. I mean, it, you know, we really covered everything. It's sort of, like I said, like it's a setup and an ending and in between it's a bunch of wacky antics. But all of those wanty wacky, wacky, <laughs> All of those wacky antics are great and you've got this amazing relationship between Annie Potts and Mark Hamill that is is so much more than you'd expect from a movie like this or a time like this. It was wonderful. It was really wonderful and, you know, like a lot of movies that I end up watching for this podcast, it ended up being such a pleasant surprise. And I I loved it.
1: Yeah, and happy to uh, you know happy to have you on for it. So let's move on to our awards then. Um, Wooderson sure. Award. Is there a character here that you would have liked to seen a little bit more of? Hmm.
0: You know what? I would have loved to see more of the sleazy garage owner. He was like with the feathered hair,
1: and the, uh, <laughs> he was cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, he was the former student of the shop teacher. I would have liked to see more of him because I wanted to hate him more because <laughs> he was he was just so skeezy. He was the absolute stereotype of a seventies scumbag. <laughs> I would have loved to have gotten more reasons to dislike him
1: i mean that's a good call. I'm glad you brought up that he was a former student there too. He's almost like foreshadowing like if uh Kenny would have gone. I was gonna say the dark side, but not not trying to make Star Wars anymore. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like if he, yeah, if he made all of course, the wrong of decisions. Yeah, this is yeah. almost the character he'd become. He, yeah, it's almost sure, like he sure. was the star student at one point before Kenny was the star student. Mm-hmm. Okay, so opposite Long Duck Dong award. Is there a character whose omission would make the film better? Is there anyone you would delete? Oh boy, you know
0: when you talk about Long Duck Dong, you it it immediately makes me think of you know, offensive ethnic stereotypes. That's usually the and, one who
1: gets deleted,
0: but uh, it doesn't have yeah, to be. Yeah, and, and I'm trying to think, and it's like, this movie was, you know, for a movie that was made in 1979, was kind of blissfully free of ethnic stereotypes, even when it comes to the uh, the lowrider guys.
1: Yeah, they could have been a I, lot worse.
0: Who would I not want to see more of? Jesus I want to see more of everybody. Really?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there there wasn't anyone who stuck out where I was like, oh, I I didn't need this vignette, you know? So, yeah, I mean, we could put a nice N.A. there. Okay, so we don't see too many high schoolers here, so it's a tough award, the Cameron Fry Award, but did anyone look like they were too old to play a high schooler? Maybe, you know, did Annie Potts not feel like a high schooler to you, maybe, Mark Hamill or anyone in the class? she did not.
0: I mean, she was close, like... It was clear that she was in her you know, early 20s, but like we've talked about before, when you, when you think about the situations that these people are in, you don't want to think about <laughs> yes. 15, 16, 17-year-olds yes. in those situations you know, being a prostitute with a custom van. <laughs> Danny Bonaduce
1: actually felt perfectly aged. <laughs> yes. I loved the class. I thought, again, if if the uh, garage shop guy didn't win the Wooderson Award, then maybe we would have nominated the entire class. As, yeah, you know what? Or co-awards, I don't know. <laughs>
0: Come to think of it, the Wooderson Award should be given to the entire auto shop class because I would have loved to see them come and help out. Yeah, that would have been cool. (laughs) In classic, like, ragtag,
1: misfit way. Yeah, yeah, no, that would have been really cool. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, no, Annie Potts, I think, looked a little bit older, but it wasn't, as we said, it was for good reason, you know? We didn't want, like, a 15-year-old-looking person in this role. No, no. That would have been a much darker film.
0: (laughs) Yes. Although they just graduated high school, so they would have been 18. Yeah, yeah. Even for so.
1: Sure, for sure. Okay, so Rotten Tomatoes, 50% even by the critics, 43% by the audience. Not too popular, but we don't care about that here. We do our own grades here in High School Slumber Party. So A plus to F scale... Christian Larson, what will you give this movie? Oh, man. I
0: mean, I'm notoriously very generous. Uh, <laughs> I, I gave Gimme an F, an A+. Plus. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm that teacher, yeah, you're the teacher who the just wants want. everyone to graduate. <laughs> but uh, I would give it a B plus, And I know I'm being generous, but I'm a softie. I'm, I'm a big romantic and... The relationship between Kenny and Eleanor in this movie was so sweet, and Annie Potts was gorgeous.
1: You seem like you're crushing on Annie Potts after this film. I
0: am! I, you know what? I am.
1: I am. <laughs> I love it.
0: You know, I already told my wife that when I was watching it, I'm like, I'm totally crushing on 1979 Annie Potts right now. Please don't be jealous. And I, I sent her a few screenshots. And she was like, "I understand." <laughs> so, you know what? <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> but yeah, it's a wonderful movie,
1: and I think a great romance. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I gave it a similar score. I gave it a B, maybe even a B plus as we talk about it because I just had a lot of fun watching it. Like that's all you want in a movie called Corvette Summer, right? Like you don't want yeah. like, <laughs> deep like like you know plots that make you think the, about the meaning of life. No, this is like. Pure, pure fun adventure, and again, a lot of unexpected adventure. So, this was a very, very interesting. Okay, so I, I ask this question every week, but this is, a, you know, this is a very visual movie. So I'm curious what your uh, answer will be. But you have to invent a sleeping bag for our slumber party that's Corvette summer themed. What does it look like? Oh boy!
0: Well, it would have to be the front, the the hood. Of the Corvette with that yeah. crazy kind of dragon thing. As ugly as I thought it was as a car, it would make a good sleeping bag. So the the hood <laughs> of the Corvette from Corvette Summer.
1: Yeah, I was going to say either that, because that that's a given that almost has to be picked. Yeah. But if it wasn't, like if you just had like a graphic of the poster for this movie, which is kind of like a cartoon Ish, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's like a cartoonish Mark—not Ham- not cartoonish in like an exaggerated way, but it's just not a photo. It's a, a cartoon of Mark Hamill and Annie Potts like on his side. And oh, have, one like- of those classic illustrated yeah movie posters. Yeah, yeah, on top of the Corvette, like yeah. <laughs> classic. Okay, so this is you know this is probably becoming my favorite question of the week for people. <laughs> you, you and I are in our magical, mythical blockbuster that has films in any format from any year ever and we decide that we're having our Corvette summer slumber party but we see that sign We see that sign up front, and it says, rent two movies, get one for you. We're like, let's make a whole slumber party night of this. What two other films are we going to watch along with Corvette Summer? Oh, boy.
0: Well, one of them would be Smokey and the Bandit. Ooh, cool. You know, it's definitely one of my, it's the most mainstream movie that kind of summed up car culture, CB culture, and trucker culture from the late 70s. And it's got a great love story in it as well. The other one is a very obscure movie called Super Van. Super Van? From (laughs) 1977. It's a van exploitation film. (laughs) Yeah, that was a genre. I was going to say, how many
1: of those exist? Yeah,
0: yeah. I think there might have been. 5 or 6 movies max <laughs> in the van exploitation genre but uh Super Van is about a guy who's going to a van competition like a custom <laughs> van competition <laughs> and Love his it. and and his van gets demolished when he tries to rescue a girl from a biker gang so he and the girl go to a laboratory where they reveal to him a super van called oh Vandora. <laughs> and the the rest of the movie is them taking Vandora to the van competition and winning. The girl turns out to be the daughter of a automotive company a CEO. They all become famous at the end. It has a uh, cameo by Charles Bukowski. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a uh, a, a poet famous for being a, a filthy old man.
1: Oh, my God, Bukowski, yeah. Wow, what? That's so random.
0: It's one of his few film roles. (laughs) He is in the audience of a wet t-shirt contest. Oh, my God. But yeah, super van, vansploitation. I actually, I started watching it. My wife and I were in bed one night, and she was like, put on whatever you want. (laughs) So I put on super van. She made me turn it off after 15 minutes. (laughs) And I I respect her judgment wholeheartedly, but, you know, I really, really wanted to watch the rest of it, so I had to watch the rest on my own. Oh, my God. It's terrible. Awesome. By the way. I'm
1: sure, but yeah. that's great. <laughs> that's a good choice. <laughs> you mentioned, though, smoking in the Banda before, and I was just curious. Uh, I know, of course, you were one of the architects of Monkey Club. I don't know how much TV TV shows you were doing on Monkey Club, but I'm sure you stumbled upon BJ and the Bear. Oh, I've I've
0: definitely uh, heard of it. I, I I've never seen it, but I've heard of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, like to me, that's like the perfect. I've never seen it either, but like it's the perfect idea of like what 1979 was. That show debuts in 1979. For for those of you who aren't aware of it, it's about a trucker and his best friend, Bear. Who's a chimpanzee? So, a trucker and chi- a chimpanzee having adventures across the country. Like, <laughs> is there anything more beautiful yeah, than I, that?
0: I think it was the perfect intersection of monkey media and trucker <laughs> media. Like, it was the height of both. <laughs> I mean, uh, those Clint Eastwood monkey movies were huge. Yeah. You know, monkeys were everywhere and so were trucks (laughs) monkeys and 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 trucks yes yes
1: (laughs) what a time to be alive what a a time (laughs) this has been a wonderful time christian larson thank you so much for stopping by once again like i said we're going to find some ways come our junior year to work in some ferris bueller stuff and maybe some tv show stuff so you'll be back on for that for sure but where can people follow you find you all that jazz.
0: Uh, sure, uh, you can find me on Instagram, uh, Captain Good Times, C A P N Good Times. I'm going to be st- uh, releasing a new podcast soon called PodQuest about the uh, PC adventure games of the 80s and 90s. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I pretty much keep to myself.
1: <laughs> Is Captain Good Times your uh, CB uh, name as well? My,
0: my CB name? Yes, oh, CB yeah. Radio. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Like Bricker Bricker Captain Good You can, you can Good find Times me on the I airwaves at Captain yeah. Good Times.
1: <laughs> That'd be great. Oh. Well, <laughs> this was a pleasure as always. Of and, course. You know, can't wait to have you on again.
0: Absolutely.
1: Whoa, 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 come on. That's ridiculous. Don't you knock first? I could have been indecent. My bartender isn't out there, is he? Okay, good. I found a place. Recording here should be better. But first of all, I just want to ask, did you enjoy that excellent episode of Corvette Summer with Christian Larson? Hope you did. It was fun. He's always a blast to have on. I know you guys really like him. And what an interesting movie. Mark Hamill, right? Annie Potts. Definitely check it out if you haven't. If we haven't sold you on it, just do it. It's such a little slice of 1979. And again, big thank you. For Mr. Larson for stopping by. Well, of course, High School Slumber Party is bi-weekly, and if you've been with us all summer before your junior year, you know that usually I'm going to say, hey, you got a babysitting assignment on Monday, but I'm giving you the rest of the summer off. We're just going to party by the pool as long as my bartender doesn't sue me, but we'll talk about that later. Anyway, your movie this Monday should be excited about this. It's a Hudson 5. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you've had it. Definitely check it out. It is the Heavenly Kid. And of course, our guest is Kate Hudson.
0: Bobby Fontana is coming back as Lenny Barnes Guardian Angel with style.
2: You can appear and disappear just like that.
0: Yeah, he's showing Lenny how to cruise easy. Walk proud. Oh wow.
1: Ride high, and let nothing stand in his way. Hang on, kid! He's the Heavenly Kid, rated PG-13. Starts Friday, July 26th at a theater near you. Check your newspaper for times. That was a pretty awesome trailer. And by the way, BT Dubs, that movie, you can find it free in places, don't worry. Please watch it. Please join us on Monday. Same High School Slumber Party time, same High School Slumber Party channel. I'm getting a little tired. I think we're going to have to crawl into our sleeping bags. I need to have a talk with this bartender. The anxiety is driving me crazy. But thank you so much for stopping by for Corvette Summer. What a cool movie. What a, again, summer. I keep saying 1979, but it's actually 1978. So apologies for that. Internet, don't correct me. Don't cancel me because of that. Anyway, I want to remind you, as always, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you can miss it. Hopefully Monday, everything will be sorted out here on the Brian Rodriguez home front. All the service will be happy. I promise I treat them nice. It's just, again, lots of overtime. (sighs) I'll update you on Monday for sure. I promise. I'm going to leave you with a song that's not from this film, because really this song only had the Dusty Springfield song and the score. So I'll drop a different one. It's thematic, though. It's Prince's Little Red Corvette. Later, dudes.
2: I guess I should know By the way you popped your car sideways I want love them and leave them fast. Guess I must be done. Shed a pocket full of horses, children some summer.
1: And on your way out, don't tell anyone I'm here.
3: You're still here? It's over.
2: Go home. Go.